Welcome, welcome everyone. You're listening to The Ty Brown Show. Today we're going to be learning the fantastically powerful, maybe even the most powerful communication technique that I know. It is the disarming spell. Yes, Wingardium Leviosa, all of you Harry Potter fans out there. Uh, for those of you who are not Harry Potter fans, Wingardium Leviosa is the uh, is the oh-so-popular spell of choice from Harry Potter and his, uh, and his croonies when they are uh, disarming their opponents. So, anyway, uh, that's what we're, we're going to learn today is the disarming spell of communication. And I hope, I hope you want to know how to take the steam out of a pressured conversation. Or, or maybe you want to know, uh, you know, just how to take the wind out of the sails of your adversary, right? Any of those things. Uh, if you want those things, then you're in the right place. It's happening. Let's go. Podcasting from conciliators. This is the Ty Brown Show. If you're a human and you think you might have to interact with other humans at some point and you'd like that to go well, then listen up. Oh, yeah. It's time to get cozy with conflict. Let's go. And we're back. All right, guys, we're going to lead out today with the stats of the week. Checking in on how we're doing on our dispute resolution revolution. So here's the damage. We've got 410 listeners this week. Not bad, guys. Not bad. We're growing. I've had some people tell me that it uh, might do a little better if we put this thing up on YouTube. So I put the audio of last week's episode up on YouTube. It has zero views. I'm obviously not doing that right. Uh, maybe one of these days I'll uh, put a video camera up and record this, and um, maybe we can get some followers there on YouTube. I've also thought about doing Facebook Live. Anyway, if you guys have any ideas on how we can better accomplish our objectives here of the dispute resolution revolution, let me know. Send me an email. Uh, send it to stories at thetiebrownshow.com. If you've got ideas on how to push it out, very interested in hearing. I've got one person behind me, uh, my sister Brandy, who's uh, she's great at this stuff. She's really been the one who's set everything up and pushed it out so far, and she's done a good job. So a big hand for Brandy. And but yeah, uh, we're uh, we're always open to suggestions. So let let me know if you have any ideas. Uh, also share this with everyone you know. Uh, maybe you've got some family members or friends that you think might enjoy it. Go ahead and push it out to them. Let them let them uh, give it a listen. Uh, subscribe and comment. Do all that stuff. I think that gives us like bonus points. Uh, I think we might be pushing new and noteworthy on iTunes. So um, the more comments, uh, more you know, five star ratings and stuff. I think that helps us in that in that respect so uh, yeah go ahead and do that if you uh, if you are inclined if not you know just just drink it up try to learn something and uh, improve your life that's what we're all about here making those human interactions better uh, really i mean we we're all in this fight together and the truth is uh, it can be pretty hard to uh, to be around people all these other humans with ideas of their own well, you know, all these crazies out there. Anyway, I'm hoping that these skills will, will help you and make your lives better. So let's uh, let's do a quick rearview mirror recap of last week's episode on blame. Uh, just a few sentences on this. All right. Remember, blame is like the inverse of accountability. It is judgy. It looks backwards. 
uh, it's full of contempt. And alternatively, contribution or accountability, this is, you know, you're seeing people with a heart at peace. Uh, the goal is understanding and learning. It's a discussion that's looking forward, right? So instead of judging and blaming, it's understanding, looking forward. Okay. And, and by the way, um, <laughs> This is this is we're just going to get on the uh, get on the old soapbox here for just a sec because I have a complaint. I have a complaint to make against the world. Um, so a lot of the stuff we talk about on the show, it's all about communication. It's all about seeing people the right way, understanding each other, improving our dialogue. Um, here's 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 what bothers me. Um, these skills are generally referred to as soft skills, these, these kinds of communication skills, social intelligence, uh, those kinds of things are often referred to as soft skills. And let me tell you what that does. It makes every person in the world like <laughs> soft skills, you know, soft skills, like no one wants soft skills. I want like hardcore skills. I want to be like, I want to be, I want to be bad, right? I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I hate the connotation of soft skills because it is so not accurate. Like, let me tell you how much tenacity and grit it takes to hold people accountable and to hold yourself accountable, right? That is not easy. Showing empathy for someone, putting yourself in their shoes and allowing yourself to feel that. My gosh, that is brave. That is, that is not like soft, wimpy skills like that. It is, it is so much better than that. And let me tell you, it is hard. And the, the Wingardio, sorry, the Wingardium Leviosa, the disarming spell we're going to learn today. Let me tell you, it is not easy. And you're going to suck at it for a long time because uh, it is so hard to learn. It is so hard, but you've got to really try. And so, yeah, don't think of it as a soft skill. Think of it like communication ninja skills or something. Um, because these are hard to learn and, um, and it is anyway, I just hate the connotation of people saying this like soft skills and that like focusing on relationships is, you know, is weak. Uh, it's not the best leaders I know are masters at relationships. They're not, they're not just, you know, commanders who go in and bully everybody around and rule out of fear and motivate with fear. Not so, uh, not so. The, the, real, the real stars of leadership, these are people who inspire. Um, they don't have to motivate because their people who follow them are so inspired and their relationships with them are strong. So anyway, it is a, an incredibly strong set of skills to have. All right, getting off the soapbox now. Uh, where were we? we were talking about? Oh, rearview mirror blame. Yeah. Blame. Uh, just to sum it up, it's really a bad proxy for talking directly about hurt feelings. Uh, you know, rather than blaming someone, just go ahead and have one of those, uh, conversations where the goal is understanding, learning and looking forward. So, all right, that is the rearview mirror done with that. Moving on. Wingardium Leviosa. How does it work? Here's a story to illustrate. I remember watching one of the old presidential debates. This was probably back in uh, probably 2016 is my guess. I remember Romney was up there on stage. I don't remember if it was primary or general election time, but he was up there and these are like these are like verbal cage matches, right? Like you score points at the other guy's expense. 
and um, you know they're you're constantly trying to pin each other down and and these debates you know it's all about debating and you want to win the debate right well Romney displayed an impressive use of what I call the Wingardium Leviosa technique um, and here here's how it happened here's how it happened and by the way during these debates they track like sentiment they have people kind of like sitting in this room and they have these little like meter things and they report like how favorable or unfavorable they feel about what the person's saying and this was i believe the highest peak of the entire debate for any candidate and it was when he did this so okay so here's what's happening his opponent comes out with just a very direct attack right this is silverback gorilla hearkening back to our second episode silverback gorilla full charge through the jungle he says Romney's an abortion flip-flopper. 20 years ago, he was all for it, right? So he just he just just blows the doors off with like direct personal attack. He says you're a flip-flopper, um, basically trying to breed this distrust of uh, of Romney, suggesting that he's, you know, he's not not someone you can really uh, not someone you can really trust. So anyway, that's that's the attack. And it just comes right out. The moderator looks over at Romney for a response. And in my head, I'm thinking, you know, and I, 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 I'm thinking probably what's coming is he's going to say, oh, I'm no flip flopper. Uh, and then, you know, he would, might get real nuanced and pick apart the opponent's statement. And he might say, you know, I wasn't, you know, air quotes, all for abortion. Exactly. And you know, anyway, there was all of all of the, the classic bait was was laying out there, but he didn't take it. Instead, he disarmed. This is what he said. He said something to the effect of, you're right. My feelings on abortion have changed. My mind has changed. And he just left it at that. He just totally owned it, right? He totally owned it. And then actually, I think after that, he kind of reaffirmed his current stance on the issue. And he did it with force. And the sentiment that they were tracking of the listeners just shot through the roof, like shot through the roof, right? And then the moderator looked back at the opponent and the opponent was speechless. He had nothing to say. It was like, well, wait a second. You just... You know, it's like, well, what's he going to say? He's like, but you flip-flopped. Like, <laughs> he's like, he's got nothing to say, right? The wind out of the sails, right? It was, it was over. And um, it, was a, it was a big win. It was a moment that Romney really won. And he did it just by, by owning the truth of, of what was said. Um, even though it may not have been completely true, he just owned the part that was true and um, just said it like it was. So anyway, great example. Let me give you one more example. In fact, we might do two more examples. These are demonstrating the disarming technique. Okay, that's what David Burns calls this, the disarming technique. And that guy, um, he has spent a lot of time and energy explaining uh, how to do this and how to master this technique. So if, um, if you're curious, I'd encourage you to, to check out David Burns and, uh, and his books and uh, anyway, he's, he's real good at this stuff. So uh, moving on, new story. Have you ever seen the movie Secretariat? There is a, a press conference clip, well, a scene of a press conference right after the uh, right after the Preakness. So Secretariat, he, he won Kentucky Derby, won the Preakness in record time, and they're sitting there, um, you know, doing this press conference. They're gearing up for the third race of the Triple Crown. The you know all the media outlets are there, and there is this horse 
that's in second place. And um, the same horse had finished second in both the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness. And um, the owner of this horse was like a real, uh, he was a real fiery guy. And he loved to trash talk. It was almost like, it was almost like heavyweight wrestlers or, or you know, like the, the boxers, you know, how they do these press conferences and they trash talk each other. Well, anyway, that's what this guy is like wanting to do. And so he's always getting on, you know, he's always getting on the mic and he's talking up his horse and he's putting down secretariat every chance he gets. And, and he, there's this line where he's like, you know, he's talking about secretariat and he says, oh, look, that, that horse was built for speed. He's not going to do well in the Belmont because it's longer. My horse, my horse was built for distance. And, you know, keep in mind, my horse also broke the previous record for the, the, the you know, the world record for the at the Preakness. Um, my horse, you know, has also you know, run the fastest Kentucky Derby or whatever. And, and so he keeps talking about his own horse and, and how great it is. And, um, and so then, you know, the, the media, the media journalists or whatever is like, uh, Miss Chinnery, any response to that? And she, she used the disarming technique so well. She said, well, he's right. He has the second fastest horse ever. And, uh, you know, the crowd erupts with laughter because it was so true. And she totally exposed the lie to what this guy was saying, which was, well, what he was, was sorry, what he was inferring was that his horse was the best. And she exposed the lie in what he was saying by actually agreeing with and affirming the facts that he was repeating. <laughs> so by saying, yes, you're right, he's right. He has the second fastest horse ever. Um, she, she put the lie to what he was saying by simply finding the truth in what he had said. It's, it's very paradoxical, but that's how the disarming technique works. Okay, next example. This one goes, harkens back to my middle school days. Uh, goes, goes way back. I remember sitting, uh, I remember going into keyboarding. I don't even know if they have keyboarding anymore. Um, but you, know, you sit down with these computers and they put these like, like little skins over the buttons so you can't see what the letters are and you have to learn where all the letters are. Anyway, um, I'm in keyboarding. I, I'm assigned to sit in this one seat and on either side of me, there's this, this awesome girl named Shalise. And then on the other side of me, there's this great kid named Anthony. Now, let me kind of paint the picture here. Um, I was, so in middle school, I was... I was like a, I was kind of a straight laced kid. I, I hated being in trouble. I never swore or used bad language, right? I like always had my hair trimmed nice. Um, you know, that was just kind of how I was. I, um, I was pretty focused on the academic sides of school, just not a rebel, not a rebel. That didn't happen until like a few years later, probably. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I just, yeah, I just wasn't really a rebel. And Shalise and Anthony, they were, right? They, like, they used very saucy language. Uh, they, were, uh, they, they were just rebellious in a lot of ways. Um, they did not like following the rules. And they were, you know, they were really fun and energetic and, and, uh, and who knows what. I, you know, they were living very just like opposite lives of me, okay? And um, I remember really early on in this class, I remember they were teasing me a little bit. 
I remember Shalise telling me one day, she's like, your life is just so pretty and pink. And, and by the way, pink is like a buzzword for me. I just, I, I just pink and me, like we just don't fit together very good at all. And um, so anyway, I, it was kind of a buzzword. She says, my life is pretty in pink. I'm like, oh, and she was like, you don't even know what real problems are. And now I'm like, oh, please, you know, I, I got, I got problems. I've had to deal with problems, you know, I'm, yeah, anyway, I don't know. She's kind of pushing this story. You know, you're Mr. Goody Two Shoes, probably too chicken to ever break any rules. So proper, no fun, very mature, no fun. Anyway, so th- this kind of teasing conversations happening. My initial reaction was like I was mad and I was ready to use, you know, my uh, I don't know. I was ready to just use all of my best comebacks. And I really wanted to show her how wrong she was about this. Um, Anthony was over there and he's just like laughing, like, this is so funny. Like this kid's such a, you know, he's such a moron and all this. And I, as I was about to respond, it started to dawn on me that a lot of what she was saying was mostly true. Um, it was mostly true what she was saying. And suddenly I realized and it's not necessarily like bad things. I mean, no one likes to be called a bore uh, or, you know, you're no fun. But, but I realized, you know, I, I, kind of what she was saying was, was pretty honest. And so instead of instead of responding, you know, with a, with an argument at all, I ended up just saying, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, you know, you know, I guess it, I guess it's, my life is sort of pretty in pink in many ways. And, um, and I remember it had, it had the most interesting effect on, on this friendship that was just budding. Uh, we became, we actually got really close and we, I loved going to that class after, and we would have great discussions. We would have just a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun together. And, um, and it was so interesting to me to kind of see a different lifestyle and a different way of living and, and to get close to these people who were so different from me. And I, I still, to this day, I remember going to this class and I, I just have a lot of happy memories about it. And, and I bet you, Shalise, she probably doesn't even remember this class, um, but it was just a great experience for me. And it all started with this kind of, you know, I was getting teased and instead of getting in a fight, it was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's about right. And uh, we ended up, we ended up having just a lot of kind of even, even a few heart to hearts. And it was just, anyway, it was a good experience. If any of you know Shalise Blackwell, tell her to listen to this podcast and that she's featured in a great story here. Um, anyway, that's, that's the story. Um, so I, I guess <laughs> elaborating on that just a little bit, it's funny because after this moment, I realized that that I could try to sort of fight against this perception that I was like, you know, like not that fun, or I could just kind of lean into it and just embrace that that's who I was. And so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to be like, I'm just going to be that kid. Uh, you know, I, I don't mind. I don't mind being that kid who's you know, afraid to break the rules, doesn't like getting in trouble, always likes to be dressed nice, you know, but that's fine with me. And, and what ended up happening is, is I, so I just kind of embraced that role. I didn't, I mean, I wasn't out there like promoting it. I just was who I was unashamedly, I guess. 
And even my friends, actually, it was my some of my closest friends. They started they started calling me uh, an M, like letter the letter M, and I didn't know for like months what that meant. And then finally, you know, I'd hear them giggling like, "Oh, there's Ty. He's a, he's an M." And then finally, I heard them I overheard them telling someone else that it meant that I was I was a mature, meaning like I wasn't really part of like the immature fun gang. You know, I was kind of on the outside looking in, and. Um, and initially, it kind of stung a little bit because these were like my friends, like the people I really cared about. And I wanted them to see me uh, as favorably as possible. I wanted them to think of me as like a fun guy they wanted to be with. But I realized, I mean, yeah, I, I was who I was and I wasn't going to be able to just pretend that I was suddenly like, you know, something different. And so I, I just kind of embraced it. I didn't let it bother me at all. And um, and it ended up being kind of fun. And, and in some ways, it was it was kind of nice that everyone had just kind of was on the same page that, hey, this is kind of how Ty is. And um, it, it kind of it became something that ended up being fun. Like they, they could tease me, you know, about about being this way. And and uh, and it didn't hurt my feelings at all. It was just fun. It was a, it was a way it was like an inside joke and we could bond over it. And it was, it was great. It was great. And I, I ended up I loved middle school. I loved high school. Um, just kind of being the way I was and and anyway that's that's the story but it all started with Shalise so thanks Shalise now I I should I should probably back off this just a little bit because I, I'm probably getting my giving myself a little too much credit I was I was still like a bozo teenager in many respects and I'm, I'm still you know I feel some level of humiliation over much of my behavior as a teenager so I mean don't think I was I was I was not that mature um, but I was voted most likely to be president, so we're still waiting if that, if you know, see if that happens. All right, uh, thanks to being an M, I was I was most likely to be president. But nowadays we know that you don't actually have to be mature to be president. So I don't know. My dreams are sort of flying out the window here, but at least we might resolve some disputes. So anyway, here we go. Let's get into the mechanics of how to disarm. You know, what what are you actually doing? So those were the examples. Here are some mechanics. The mechanics vary just slightly depending on the situation. So there's kind of two main situations where you'll be a, given the opportunity to use disarming. First situation is when someone's coming at you. Like they are the silverback gorilla, they are coming at you, and you're like, whoa, you know, caught off guard, caught off balance. How do you disarm them? Like you're in the throes of the attack right now. How do you do it? Um, so that's the first scenario. The second scenario is when you're approaching someone with something sensitive and you're worried that it might be the camera flash that sets the silverback gorilla charging you through the jungle. You're worried about provoking an attack. So you know, maybe you're given bad news. This is particularly common when you're at work um, or if you're in a marriage and you need to give some feedback to a spouse. Um, so anyway, if, if you're worried about provoking a silverback gorilla attack, there's um, there's a strategy to use to avoid, you know, you disarm them before before the attack even happens. Secondarily, if they're coming at you, um, you know, this is the other scenario where they're coming at you. You need to disarm them right from the get go. So step one, um, we're going to focus on that scenario. Someone's coming at you. Step one is is to agree with them. Now, that might sound absurd, and it, and it might sound like, well, I'm not going to agree because they're probably coming at me with raging falsehoods and 
you know, there's, there's nothing to it. There's nothing to agree with what they're saying. I feel completely adverse and 100% opposed to everything they're saying right now. Well, agree anyway, right? Agree anyway, because there is something there is, there is, okay. There are exceptions, but almost never there are, you know, I mean, this is, there are very few exceptions. But you should agree because there is something that's provoking them. There is some feeling, some perception, some thought that makes them feel justified to be on the on the offense, on the offensive, on the attack. So start by saying something like, you're right. You're right. That, that was Mitt Romney, right? He says, you're a flip-flopper. You were all for abortion 20 years ago or whatever. And, and he said, you're right. Now, and then he qualified, then he qualified on what was true about what the person was saying. So that's step two. You have to find the truth in what they're saying. Most of what they're saying might be totally false. They might be making up accusations. It might be based on factual inaccuracies. There's all kinds of things. And you could, you could respond with nuanced, you know, oh, well, it depends how you define all the time, right? Uh, anyway, you've got, to, you've got to parse through all of the garbage and find the nugget of truth in what they're saying. It was like me being able to realize, okay, you know, she's using some, when Shalise was coming at me, she's using some hyperbole here. Uh, but, but there is like this nugget of truth. Um, that I am afraid to break the rules and I hate to disappoint that way. So, you know, there, there's the nugget of truth or whatever. So anyway, that's step two. First, you agree. You say you're right. Second, you find the truth in what they're saying and you point it out. Third is, is really hard because after you've said, I agree, and you've pointed out the truth in what they're saying, it feels natural to want to go in and say, but, and then explain your story. But if you do that, you're going to fall short. So the third thing is to focus on them and how they're feeling. It's empathy. Step three is empathy. And you just get your empathy magnifying glass out and make sure you understand why they think and feel the way they do. This is really important because they may not be cursing your name. They may not be casting a spell at you, but you haven't disarmed them, right? <laughs> their wand is still in their hand. You know, now I'm, I'm starting to regret using this Harry Potter metaphor. I don't, I don't know enough about Harry Potter and how this works, but I'm pretty sure that you can, like, throw magic spells at each other through your wands and that that can be bad. So we're, we're just going to roll with that metaphor a little longer. But yeah, anyway, they may not be they may not be throwing the fire at you, but they've not put their wand down yet. The only way to get them to put their wand down is is to go where they are. I mean, you have to emotionally and mentally go where they are. F make sure you understand why they think and feel the way they do. Okay. So that's that's step 3, empathy. Step 4. Step four is critical. This is the part where you start to help them to understand. Step four is you start a future-focused solutions discussion. So you've got the floor now with a captive audience, and in your audience, they're ready to they're ready to learn. They're seeing you not with contempt anymore. Um, you've likely 
changed the way they see you just by agreeing with the truth of what they've said, um, showing empathy. I mean, they're, they're a captive audience. The wand is down. The gorilla is, is munching on their leaves. They're, they're not, they're not a, in an aggressive stance. Um, so anyway, you're, you're, you're at a prime place to have a future-focused discussion. Um, future-focused, meaning you're not dwelling on the past. And you might even, you might even just expressly say that say, you know, my, my feelings might have been hurt by, by how you said that. And I, I was initially feeling really, oh, really flustered and worked up about it. But if you're all right with it, I'd rather just not, not, go, not go back there to the past because I'm more worried about what happens going forward. And, you know, now you're, now you're in a discussion about what does it look like going forward. And it's very solution-focused. It's, 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 it's the solution part of resolution. <laughs> so, all right. That's, that's the mechanics of when someone's coming at you. You agree with them. You say you're right. Find the truth in what they're saying. Empathize with them. Discuss the future. Okay. Now, if you're delivering the bad news, you foresee a possible guerrilla attack. This is more common like at work. You've got, um, you've got, Let's see. Well, I, I, okay. Here, this, this one's easier. It's a lot easier if you're disarming them prior to the attack. Um, the first step is to disarm them by leading with your contribution to a shared problem. So you begin the discussion by pointing out the shared problem. It's not a personal issue. This is, this is a joint issue. And you lead with your contribution. So you're holding yourself accountable for the role that you have played in the problem that you have. And let me tell you, those of you who are listening and you're thinking about conversations you've had that went poorly recently, you're probably thinking in your head, I didn't contribute at all. They're, they're up in the night. Like they are, they are making, they're just making all kinds of garbage up. It's not even real. How can, I mean, how can I lead with my contribution if I didn't have one? Well, you did, you had one and, um, your ego is getting in the way of seeing it and your identity feels threatened by acknowledging it. But that's step one. Like I said, this is not a soft, it's not a soft skill. This is like hard skills. Um, yeah, the level of like, the level of self-image security required to be a master at difficult conversations is, I mean, it's just really uncommon. And, I, and that's why I sometimes am really bad at difficult conversations is because I, uh, you know, my identity gets threatened. And um, like I said, everything goes out, all my skills go out the door because uh, now my pride, my ego are in the way. And so anyway, tangent, there I go again. All right. So we talked about step one when you're delivering bad news, disarm by leading with your contribution. Step two is you just go into that future-focused solutions discussion. You remind them that you're a team. You're working together to solve a, a joint problem. Okay, so let me, let me illustrate this with a business story. Um, it's actually interesting. I've had a few different people who have told me uh, that they want me to do a little more focus on work disputes, which is great for me to hear. I mean, that's that's... That's very exciting because that's that's what I do for a living, right? That's that's my job. That's all I do. Uh, it's all I think about. And so, you know, and workplace disputes have kind of a special dynamic. Um, and sometimes I feel like I'm not really a qualified expert for non-work disputes. 
but here we are doing a podcast on it anyway. Um, don't tell anyone I'm a fraud, okay? Okay, so um, here's a work story. Uh, and, and also, I get a little nervous using stories. Uh, I try to, I always alter facts and details, make them so that they're not um, identifiable, right? I, I, I purposely camouflage them so that any story I tell, you can't really tell who it is. Unless it's a story of my own, then I feel very safe using it. Um, so I tried to think back to uh, a story of myself here, and, and, I, and I actually did f- think of one. So it, it's a two-part story, and one at one point, I did not use disarming and the second point, or sorry, in the second story, I did use disarming, and you can see the difference. So a few years ago, I had a secretary send out a letter, uh, and they sent it out prematurely. It wasn't ready to go out. It was just, it was just a rough draft, and it was, it was very rough. Like it, it was, and it, it really embarrassed me. Um, it really embarrassed me, and it really hurt my ability to do a good job on uh, on this particular case that I was handling as a lawyer. Well, oh, I was so mad. And I remember calling my secretary in and, and I just remember looking at her with this judgy sort of look like, oh man, um, you know, and I, we, we started this conversation and it just, it, I was nice, but it didn't go well. You know, I, I told her, this was so embarrassing. You need to be more careful uh, this is, inex- you know, inexcusable, unacceptable. Um, boy, you know, this was all on you. I, I really put it all on her because in my mind it was. I didn't send the letter out. I hadn't even finished writing the letter. Um, you know, I didn't even sign the letter. How, how did this happen, right? There just seemed to be so many errors um, from the secretary of mine. Uh, and so anyway, the conversation was not good. It was very judgy and looking backwards. And it was a bad experience for her, bad experience for me. And um, anyway, I, no, I'm not sure that she was any better off for that conversation. Um, anyway, about a year or so later, almost exactly the same thing happened, this time with a different secretary. And I remembered how bad my first experience was and and how it was still sour and something about it felt off. And so I decided I was going to do this differently. I realized that if this is a recurring problem that now two different secretaries have made, maybe I'm contributing to this somehow. Like maybe, just maybe, I have some responsibility for this error. So <laughs> I, I remember starting this conversation and I was being so careful to do it differently. I, I brought her in and, and, um, and I said, hey, th- there was a letter, it went out prematurely. Uh, and, um, and then I, I just went ahead and acknowledged my contribution. I said, look, I, I didn't put draft, you know, the word draft, in the title, and you just probably thought it was ready to go out and you wanted to be proactive and get it out there, but, you know, it, it wasn't ready. And, um, and so their secretary immediately responds, oh, my gosh, I am so sorry, darn it. Um, I should have I double-checked that with you. And then it occurred to me, I wonder why she, I wonder why she didn't. I was just genuinely curious. I really was. I wondered, you know, why. And and it was funny because the other secretary also didn't double check with me. And so I, I just asked. I said, Yeah, was was there anything that 
that I did that kind of kept you from wanting to double check with me? And she, she was so sweet. She was like, well, you know, you were really busy and your door was closed and I could hear you on the phone and it sounded like it wasn't going well. And, you know, we had to get the mail out before, you know, the certain time. And I knew you, you know, like to like to get your letters out as, as quickly as you can. And, and, um, and so what I was hearing was, oh, so basically like, I was in a bad mood and I was snappy and you didn't really want to have to you didn't want to have to confront me about it when I was in a bad mood because I might make you feel bad or something. <laughs> um, and and secondarily, you just didn't want to disappoint me if the letter didn't get out, you know, and, and so I, I confirmed that, yeah, that, that's actually more that's that's more the reason why we didn't talk about it. And so I was able to say, OK, well, boy, I feel I feel like a buffalo. Um, sorry. And next time, let's uh, let's talk. I mean, and, and if I'm in a bad mood and I'm snappy and you're worried about bringing it up, just just say, hey, Ty, remember when we had that discussion? You wanted me to bring this up no matter what kind of mood you're in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so here it is. Right. And so we talked about that and, and, and ended up being a much, much, much better experience. We were good to go. So. Um, and we put in some measures to keep that from happening in the future. I said, hey, if it's not done, I'm going to put draft in the title. But I realized the contribution that I thought I was making to the problem wasn't even the real problem. My actual contribution, the one I was blind to, was that I was not being approachable enough and um, not coordinating, uh, not communicating, not being open to communication from, from my secretary. And so anyway, that's a great story um, as, to illustrate the difference of leading with disarming, um, with this disarming technique and keeping the discussion future focused. It makes all the difference in leadership. And, and it, it also helps if you have world class secretaries like, like, like I have had. Um, they are amazing, amazing, talented women um, who, who run circles around me. So anyway if if they listen to this thank you you're awesome so okay that's that's that um i'm gonna just call that our stop hitting yourself lesson for the day i had another one prepared but i um i'm thinking we're gonna end this now and um it's kind of like getting out of school a minute or two early uh, we'll save this one for next week so thanks for listening thanks for your feedback your stories uh, your, uh, your encouragement. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm not doing this podcast for any reason other than to, to try and, you know, be a blessing for you guys and for your lives, help you communicate better. Uh, but it's very rewarding for me to hear that, uh, that you're listening and that it's, it's given, you know, given you some, some inspiration to improve a relationship that's been suffering for years or something. I love hearing that. So thank you. I love you guys. We will, uh, kick another episode out on Monday. Hope you enjoyed. Take care. I'm out.